Blended. Welcome to Marketing Blend, everybody, where I bring you all the new and interesting marketing news, plus little advice, tips, opinions, whatever feels like needs to be discussed for today or for this week, I will talk about. I'm your host, Brett Deister. Let's get on with it. All right, it looks like, again, people are talking about Facebook testing out new page layouts for its web-based Platform Now, its web-based platform doesn't make as much revenue as mobile, but they still actually somewhat care about it. Now, I'm still on the belief that eventually the Facebook that we know of now will just be a social hub and the Facebook Messenger will what be the future Facebook actually is. So take note, maybe even pivot a little bit, but not too much to alienate what is still prevalent for Facebook or important to Facebook. But you are probably going to see a pivot to Facebook Messenger being more dominant in Facebook caring about it than the actual Facebook that it is now. That's a lot of Facebook saying Facebook things. However, let's get actually into it. And uh, there is a few interesting things. Uh, one is that the cover picture and the profile uh, thumbnail aren't going to be in competition with another. It's going to be moved down where you can actually see the full cover photo and then you see it you see the um, profile picture a little bit at the bottom with a more of a white rectangular space so they're kind of spacing it out and kind of giving the cover profile more of its own space which is great because I mean you do take time to create both of them and it'd be great for someone to see the whole thing and not have to like rearrange it so you make sure that you, people see the whole thing it's not cutting it off on the other one which usually I've had to do it's been fun. Uh, the call to action button is going to be a little bit more pronounced. It's going to be a blue button instead of uh, what they use now. Same thing with the like. So the call to action is going to be a little bit more prominent, which is also a good thing. Also, it looks like ads are completely gone, or at least the right side of the ads are completely gone, because it really wasn't making that much revenue for Facebook, and it really wasn't that big of a deal for it as well. Now, there's two variants on the way they could actually make the profile page. There's one that actually has more of a uh, left panel that's going to be great. It's going to have uh, your profile picture plus the name and then home about and all that other stuff. And then the content plus the profile, I mean the cover picture, excuse me, uh, being more of the focus. And then there's another one that kind of makes it, like I said before, a little bit less pronounced profile picture and then the cover photo more pronounced with uh, just the content being the source of your page instead of everything else that's cluttered around it. Now we, we shall see if which variant will actually happen. There's two different variants. I'll post two different pictures and you can decide which one you actually like. But I like uh, variant number one over variant number two only because uh, it makes the menu systems not as big. I don't really care about the menu system and I don't think anybody's really going to care about that. I think the content's going to be the much bigger thing and so it's that's my opinion about it. Everything else is really the same. It's just a little bit different tweaks in design. That's really about it. But yes, they're hopefully changing it. People have said it before. They really do need a little bit of a redesign of uh, Facebook main because Facebook main kind of hasn't really been redesigned in quite a while. It kind of looks it looks a little old for what it actually is. So we will we shall see. I still am under the impression that yes. 
Uh, Facebook Messenger is going to be the future of Facebook, but that's still my, uh, I guess, future telling of the social network, and I could be very, very wrong about that. But like I said, I think it's going to be more like that, and I think this is just... It's going to be a natural evolution for what Facebook is. Start off with what it is now or similar to what it is now, and it's eventually going to be changing into it. Part of the problem is it's probably because of their algorithm and just so much noise going on through Facebook that they're probably going to have to segregate people off and kind of curate even more. It's basically going to be just your concierge of what goes on, on the Internet eventually, which I will probably be using even more less than I have before because... I don't like that Facebook does that to me. I really just want to filter it out myself. All right, I talked about this yesterday, but I think it's really relevant to talk about it still again. Uh, Vine is in some trouble. Um, it has not gone very well for a couple of years, or at least a year now. Uh, the app downloads has, has dropped dramatically. It's just not what it used to be. And it's it's a pity because it's an interesting and fun little social uh, network in general because of just what it does, what it is. The great thing about it is also the limitation about it, the six-second video, plus with the video resolution being so just like it. When you, from my experience, because I actually have one for digital coffee, when I upload a, a video, a short video of gameplay, I have to cut it because it's the, the it's the format it's in but it also looks like they uh, zoom in the f the video as well so it looks very pixelated and just not very good what I like to see is a better resolution for it and this is just my primary concern with it is better resolution maybe even doing more of like a Instagram thing where you can press that to zoom out of the picture but also the video as well is doing something like that so they can get the full video instead of this very just um, zoomed in version of it. Um, the other thing is, is that it hasn't really differentiated itself enough to keep the momentum going. Now, Periscope is a huge thing for Twitter right now. It's trying to, you know, lay the foundation for it and make sure it's going to be popular and continue to be popular for a while. It's also competing with Facebook and YouTube eventually when YouTube launches their live uh, chat app or live streaming app, I should say, for everybody else. But the problem is with Vine is it came out when uh, video was becoming more and more popular and it basically rose to popularity because of that. But since there hasn't been enough innovation within its own space enough to warrant people still using it and people going, why do I need this when I can just watch a compilation of different Vine videos on YouTube. Now they're trying to fix that as well with 120 second videos, which should be interesting to see how well that actually does. But you could almost foresee that Vine maybe fold completely fold into Twitter and Twitter can just utilize whatever technology it has. That could be one of the reasons for it as well. If it can't continue to maintain it popularity that it has previously, this is where it could go. The other problem is that it doesn't really have like uh, business type profiles. So that's another thing that it may be hurting itself against. Beyond that, it's super slick. I've had a couple problems with uploading it through Android, but using the Windows 10 app has actually been really good and actually really solid. I've had a problem with it. So there is that as well. 
The great thing about the Windows 10 app is that on your desktop, you can upload the videos straight from your desktop onto the social network instead of going to your phone and doing it that way. So you can actually make more professional videos, which I think could help it a little bit. But like I said before, there, there is going to be a problem that is going to have to face what is it actually, what does its brand stand for? That's what Twitter is going to have to ask itself. It's going to have to ask itself about it for itself as well. But what is it? What does the brand stand for? And how can we utilize this unique space to uh, amplify it? Because the problem is, is that nobody's really talking about Vine anymore. They're all about Snapchat, Instagram, uh, Periscope, Facebook Live. That's what's dominating it. Pinterest goes into there every once in a while, but Pinterest is still very popular because it has its own space and no one's actually capitalized or even become uh, uh, basically a competitor for it because I haven't seen really a big competitor for Pinterest. So they have their own space and so they're going to thrive in what they do well and that's Pinterest. With Vine, I mean, there's Instagram is its competitor, Snapchat its competitor, heck, even Periscope can be in some ways its competitor. So you have a lot of different little competitors out there, and so that's the other problem with it. It has so much competition that in the beginning it was awesome, it was great, it was something new, we'd never seen it before, but then, like I said before, it just waned. No one talked about it anymore. Eventually, this is the first time I've heard about it in months, maybe even at least months. Could be more than a year, but I haven't heard about it in a while. And that's kind of sad because it is a very interesting uh, social network that just it just didn't capitalize on itself enough, and that was the problem with it. It was popular in the beginning, but then eventually it's not anymore. And that's the problem with a lot of apps that you're gonna have to face with that as well. Alright, Facebook has done some research about mobile gaming, yes, with ever Rise in popularity of, well, Pokemon Go. <laughs> and I'm going to be talking about that too, because why not? Uh, they did an actual market research on global trends for gaming. Now, I have some... I'm trying to figure out where they got a lot of this information and what do they classify as gamers, because it seems like just playing on your phone and not really giving me kind of a de delineation of like how many hours people play on it. Cause I, I see gamers as the amount of hours you play on it is kind of how you are. Now there is a very hardcore gaming uh, sector or industry in it and that is part of it. But like I said before, I have not, I don't really understand what they constitute as gamers. If just playing a game it makes you a gamer, then everybody's a gamer because everybody's played a mobile game at least once. And so that's my other thing as well. Now this could be like reoccurring more than once, which probably is more than likely, but like I said, are they just, are they just like grouping everybody's gamers together? I mean, they do put in desktops in there, but that's still a very different market than mobile gaming. Mobile gaming is more, and it's gonna be, it's, it's gonna be what it's called, more for casual gamers and those are the ones who just play every once in a while, aren't really like dedicated into like the meta as a lot of gamers call it for like uh, League, of League of Legends and Overwatch. 
So there's that as well, but let's still dig into it. So they say smartphones is the number one gaming device. Reason is because it's relatively cheaper than most of the other uh, hardware devices out there. Relatively, I mean, give or take. Plus, people find a better use or find a better need for it than, let's say, a computer, a laptop, a tablet, or a console. Uh, so that's another thing to look at. Now, I always, before you go on, I always scrutinize data, especially data that I'm kind of not sure what they're really talking about besides the whole how much uh, how much money game, gaming actually makes, which is in the USA it's going to total about nine point, well actually ninety nine point six billion, excuse me, in revenue in two thousand this year two thousand sixteen. It's quite a lot, and it's always growing. Uh, and they, and they did study twelve different markets, but like I said, I don't really see the definition of what a gamer is. And that's my problem with it, is that I don't understand what you mean by gamer. I understand that I am a gamer, but I play a lot of video games, a lot of different video games. I've been playing video games since I was a wee little lad, and I was using the Apple II computer, and it was a helicopter game, and I was just going up and down on the green screen. And I remember that. Don't know why I remember that, but that's the only thing I remember about that. So yes, I have a better degree of understanding what gaming is, but with this market research, I don't understand what they mean by gamers, and so that's another problem. I have with it. So yes, smartphones is number one, computers is number two, tablets is number three, and consoles are number four, which is not very unsurprising because consoles have a very specific use, and most people aren't really finding there's a lot of usefulness in console gaming, which I completely understand. Uh, now the games that play on the go, the reasons why people play mobile games is while walk while waiting, which is understandable. Uh, about 45% of people said that while commuting slash traveling, 44%, so small discrepancy between that. And then while at work is 21%, which in some ways you could see it. If your internet goes down and you can't really work on anything, that could be another great way. Or you're just a really bad employee, just care about playing games. Could be another one too. Now in developing markets, uh, the frequency of people playing is that, the, that people that are 1.8 times more likely to use their smartphones as they are primary game devices and they spend about 16 minutes per session gaming which on smartphones is a pretty significant amount of time now for a gamer myself that's not very much actually at all i have been known to play like eight hours if i'm reviewing a game more 10 uh so that's not as significant and not that big to me, that's not that big of a reason why you would call somebody a gamer. But like I said, I scrutinize that type of like definition or term that's not explained to me, and that's a problem with this research. It's not bad research, it's just that term is really freaking me out a little bit. Uh, and then um, gamers play about 1.6 times more gaming sessions per week on smartphones. Because we're around our smartphones more often, it is more than likely you're gonna play more games on it. And that's depending. I barely play games. I have a few games on there, I barely play them because I don't care as much. I find them a lot boring most of the time and I also find that, especially like uh, those games where you have to like build things and you have to wait for it to build and it usually is like, wait a day, and I'm like, I don't want to. I'm here to play the game now and you won't let me play the game now. You're really frustrating me right now. So I tend to stop playing and then my little kingdom gets destroyed. I'm like, yeah, I don't care. Um, but 
It's also saying that the faces of gaming has changed. Now, this is this isn't really new research. It's been documented that it's more than equal now with men and women playing video games, which is fine, completely fine with me. I don't care what sex you are. I just care what types of games you play and if you're good or not. That's more what I care about. If you're a female, awesome. Woo! Yeah, you're playing games. Join the gaming revolution. If you're not, if you're male, all right. If you're part of the status quo, well, like I said, that doesn't really surprise me, but we can look at the stats. Now, 47% of women play games on smartphones to the 53% of males. Tablets is 46 to 54. Computers is 41% to 59%, which is where gaming kind of got its start for the most part. Besides Atari, it's kind of it's Atari computers and kind of Nintendo's where it's got to start. Now, consoles is a bigger disparity. It's 67% over 33%. Now, like I said, the computers and consoles disparity I could understand because it's usually been primarily dominated by males. That's where gaming kind of got its start, and that's where kind of males kind of flock to. And you could cry all those other isms if you want, but that's really the fact of life: is that males kind of started the gaming thing. The kind of ones that usually would play video games more often. They would like the kind of the escapism, the hero, being the hero, and all that other isms or whatever you want to do it. So that's, that is the, I guess, the similarities or differences. Now, this is going to be an interesting part. On average, among mobile game spenders across 12 markets, which one are more likely to play which games? Uh, number one for women is puzzles. Number two is strategy. Number three is casual slash social. Number four is action, and number five is video games. Now contrast that to men is is actually quite different. Number one is strategy, number two is action, number three is sports, and number four is puzzle, and number five is role-playing. So there's quite a differences in different types of genres of video games that are being played between males and females, which would help you market to whatever demographic you're trying to market for your game. Now, if you're trying to do more of a puzzle game, I would spend more money on female than male because it's in the top five of both of them, but the first one is puzzles is for females and it's number four for males. If it's strategy, I would actually equally do it because it's number one and number two. So number two for males, I mean females, number one for males. So I would equally do that one. And role-playing games, I would almost exclusively do it for males, or at least put a little money into role-playing for females as well, just because it's in the top five for males. So that's important to note, is that if you're doing more of a strategy game, you need to really focus on uh, both sides of it, because it seems like both sides love strategy, which is great. I love strategy games. Strategy games are really fun to, you know, figure out, build tactics, build strategies, all the other fun stuff that... People do all the time in their daily life, especially if you're a marketer. All right. Well, so it has come, and the time has come to talk about Pokemon Go. Yes, the ever popular Pokemon Go by Nanatic, which actually made Ingress, which is a precursor to Pokemon Go, which probably a lot of people don't know about. But if you want to check it out, check out Ingress, and it's almost the same thing except without the Pokemon. To be honest with you, that's the only difference. Now, the rise in popularity of Pokemon Go 
is quite astounding. It's actually quite great, especially since you hear a lot of flatlining in the app sector and not, not a lot of people are actually using apps a lot. And so this is kind of like a uh, against the stream type of app that's like, hey, we still find a way of doing it, which is great. It kind of like shakes things up and makes businesses double down something that people actually may want to play. So the thing is, is that it completely rose Nintendo stock like double digits crazy crazy amount of stock buying just for this game which is great I love Nintendo I don't want Nintendo to go away because they have a lot of great characters a lot of great games the thing is the weird thing about this is that there's also a rise in well look AR is now becoming relevant again look AR is might be able to beat VR and I'm going here and like yeah I've been talking about that for like at least a year now where AR, I've always seen AR as a more viable source or a better way of doing things than VR. However, VR still has a very viable audience as well. VR, I kind of equate to escapism where you'd be transported into a world where you don't have to think about your own life and whatever. And then AR is kind of in the world. So there is a difference between both of them. There is a space for both of them. Now, one may be way more popular than the other. Who knows? It's way too early, even though pundits are kind of like proclaiming AR is the winner because of this one app. But I'm like, you have to replicate it. You have to replicate it more than once. Business <laughs> business strategies aren't built on one success. It's built on multiple successes over time. And so the problem I have with a lot of these articles is they're saying, look, Pokemon Go has just told you that AR is great and you should all do AR now or augmented reality if you don't really know what I'm talking about is AR. Uh, the problem here is that, like I said, it's only one game right now. One game has actually made it really popular and they built off from another game that they actually did called Ingress. Now, they are doing actually some smart things with sponsored locations. So if you really want to get in part of the craze of Pokemon, you can talk to the developer and see if you can do a partnership with them, maybe sponsor, sponsor Poke Gym or whatever, have several different Pokemons in your store so people come to your store. Now, I want to counter this with saying this actually may not convert in sales. It may actually convert in traffic, which is great, but if those foot traffic don't convert in sales, then you have a problem. What I would love to see if there was actually a specific way you could put the Pokemon where you put them on your best deals or deals that you have going on right now or hot ticket prices or hot items that you have so they go around looking for their Pokemon and it puts them into your sales so they go oh it's on sale and hopefully they'll pick it up now if it's just an arbitrary place that they put them I don't know if it'll be that viable but if they can allow uh, the retailers to place at specific points in their store. That could be an even better, more powerful option for them because of, well, it would be a better way for them to convert into sales and actually justify spending money on sponsored locations. Because just having a sponsored location is not going to guarantee you that people are going to buy anything. They just want to pick up the Pokemon. Let's understand that. They just want the Pokemon. So if you, if you don't have a way of actually placing it in specific areas, 
I would probably wait for a little while until they give you that kind of robust options. It's great that it's really popular, but let's not get ahead of ourselves saying that this is going to convert into actual money being trans transactioned. Uh, because it could just be people just go to your store, look, find the Pokemon, and gone. Uh, so, yeah, should be interesting what happens there. Now, with all new things, sometimes it goes awry, and apparently Pokemon Go had some Pokemon at, uh, well, uh, Auschwitz Memorial, Holocaust Memorial Museum, and they were like, please stop. We don't want this here. And I completely understand that it's completely within their right of saying, look it, this is kind of a touchy subject, hard subject. We don't want this stuff here. We don't want to be a part of this. They had a problem with their last game, Ingress, where they did the same thing with concentration camps within Germany. And so this is kind of a little bit of bad PR. Uh, Pokemon Go already has, has already had a little bad PR with... Uh, a bug in the Google accounts, uh, authentication, also with the senator wanting to know why they're making, why they're collecting this much data. I understand it a little bit more because of the GPS location and then finding where you are at in the world. So they kind of need a lot more data than what you expect from other apps. But that doesn't mean that they should collect all of it. I'm just saying what could possibly be. So as always, anything you release. Be prepared for some backlash, something going to rise, so you actually have a, well, a press release or some written material ready for you just to hand off saying, we know, we are aware of this, we are working to resolve this issue, or something like that, because if you're not really going to talk anything about that, especially this, it's not going to go well for you. Just saying, it's not going to go well for you. And like I said before, Someone else talked about the revive of AR. Uh, well, here's the thing. I love AR, but I think Microsoft was the first one to actually make this like way more popular than uh, what Pokemon Go did. Pokemon Go, uh, Pokemon Go just made it catapult even further. It's kind of like you're talking about first-person shooters or even gaming in general. Wolfenstein laid the groundwork for first-person shooters. Doom made it super popular. So there's a difference. Microsoft's HoloLens made the, basically laid the groundwork for augmented reality, and then Pokemon Go made it really popular. So there is that to consider as well. I'm not taking anything away from Pokemon Go. I think they did a fantastic job of what they had with them and how they used the technology. It is a great, great thing that they did. Like, a job well done, but I'm always going to go back to this saying... Look at we don't know which one is going to be the winner. It just revived it and talked about it again, and that's it. But I've always talked about AR as the future and VR not so much, even though I think VR has a space within the realm, especially for gaming, especially for hardcore gaming, where it can survive, thrive, and do well in. Now, AR and VR could actually be joined together as well, where you can do from AR to VR if you want. So, like I said, there can be a melding as well. It's technology. It's not like it has to be segregated for all of time. Every time. Every time something new comes out. Oh, this is going to win. I'm like, "Eh, well, maybe. Um, But yes, Pokemon Go is what everybody is talking about. (laughs) It's just funny. Now, I'm going to switch gears a little bit and talk about the FTC and how... uh, 
how it kind of uh, made Warner Brothers say, hey, look, you're not supposed to do this. Now, a lesson for you all, do not do what Warner Brothers did where it basically paid popular YouTubers to rate its game well. And then put the disclaimer at the very bottom where you have to push the show more. It didn't properly disclose it, and this is a lesson for all us marketers and PR people. Disclose where you're going to actually be using this. Do not ever, ever do this little shady thing because people are not going to like you. The funny part is, is Warner Brothers was so freaked out about Shadows of Mordor. That was the game that they did this with. They had little, little confidence in it. And it was unfounded because it was one of the best games for 2015. Which is funny because it was a great game. I reviewed it, liked it a lot. Great game. Really fun. There's some problems with it, but the Nemesis system was actually really well done and quite awesome. And I wish more games would implement that in some way, but hasn't quite yet. Or at least Warner Brothers games should find a way of implementing more of that. So, lesson to you always, always have faith in your product, no matter what. Just have faith in it. Never, ever, 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 ever try to be sneaky and put the disclaimer way at the bottom where people don't know that you are telling the popular YouTubers or spokesperson, or, well, more of YouTubers and that stuff, and influencers what to say. Disclose that and make sure they understand that they have to disclose that too. So you don't get slapped with a fine. You don't get slapped with anything from FTC because they will spank you and they will, they, they will do something to you. Luckily, Warner Brothers got off a little easy on that, but it is a lesson to be learned. Don't ever, ever do that ever, ever again. All right, here's an interesting thing. Mozilla looks like it's going to be making more of a crowdsource content recommendation system right through its browser called the Context Graph. What it does is it kind of uses different types of technology out there already, like heat maps, uh, different ways of posting things and showing things up. So heat map, if it shows up and looks like someone clicked on a thing and then went off really quickly, that's not gonna be part of the recommendation. And this is also gonna be recommendations of shares through social media as well. So basically this is a stumble upon through your web browser so you can crowdsource what good content is. And so this kind of takes the reins a little bit away from Facebook and Google, which kind of always show you what popular content is but never allows you to actually say, yes, this is good content. So what this is supposed to do is it's supposed to make content or good content or content that you like push more up to the top and hopefully you give kind of your stamp of approval on this content for how to use or whatever. So I kind of like this in a way. It also has some interesting little marketing ways of doing it. So making sure that your content is useful for people, especially through Mozilla, if this actually works out, could be another avenue for getting your content well spread a lot easier and while well, having to pay Facebook to advertise just on someone's news wall, newsfeed wall, and being like, pay us, we see we put it on there. So it was their fault for not clicking on it and be like, no, no, I was just paying you for results, not pay you because you just put it on there. Congratulations, Facebook. Yes, I don't like Facebook very much. I'm always critical of them because they kind of make me upset a little bit. All right, Simply Measured is actually offering the first social measurement API for marketers. Yes, this is a way for marketing teams to actually uh, figure out how well their platforms are doing on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube, Tumblr, LinkedIn, and Google+. 
less on Google Plus because no business really fit, can figure out Google Plus, and it's it's almost like a dead social network that Google is just allowing to keep alive for whatever reason it want to. I don't really understand why it's still alive because even Google has really stopped talking about it. They aren't really doing anything about it. But I do like this API of showing you the reach and kind of just aggregated score of all the different uh, sites so you can kind of see what is going on with all these, especially with the raw data coming through and kind of figuring out which content is working best on which platform so you can pivot, make necessary changes to change from which platform, which is great because you don't have to look at five or six different sites just to see which platform is actually being used, utilized well enough. So it's kind of all nice and little neat little API analytics data for marketers to actually figure out, especially for marketing teams, especially if you have several different marketers working on several different social networks and you need to kind of like, you know, collaborate the whole team and, you know, put it all in the feed so people know what's going on. Maybe go, hey, look at, we're not seeing the ROI on this, so you need to do something to actually turn around or completely scrap it. Either way, make it work. That's my boss voice. Because I'm a boss. But I'm a boss myself, actually. All right, uh, Twitter is, well, it's going to help brands know exactly who's visiting their sites and who sees their tweets, uh, which is a great thing. And I've always said that Twitter is actually a really great platform. I like it way better than like Facebook. Reason why is because organic reach is 10 times better on Twitter than it is Facebook. So that's one of the reasons why I like it. I don't have to spend money to actually get people to, you know, like or reshare it. That's their own thing. And I don't have to spend more money to reach my own followers, which I've always found weird on Facebook. Hate to say it. It's just weird. It's just plain weird why they do that. Anyways, they have finally opened their uh, their audience API, which was in beta for a while. And before they had to use a Twitter ID to actually kind of use it. Now they can do it without Twitter ID. However, if you're looking to actually do this, you're going to have to have a follower base of 500 or more. So if you don't have that, it probably won't work. Uh, but what it will, it will not give you specific uh, data for specific people. It will give you generalized, like every other data set out there, more generalized viewpoint of what your audience is. So it will give you gender. It will give you location. It will also give you interests. So if they think like books, movies, tech, gaming, any one of those, it will actually give you a little bit of that. For TV, it will also give... Uh, what specific uh, genres for the audience that you are catering to, what they like, what they don't like, uh, location as well, and devices and wireless networks. So it will actually give you if they're using an Android or iOS and what if they're on Verizon, T-Mobile, Sprint, any one of those. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how well this plays out. Now for podcasting news, there's a new thing called PodWave. And what it does is allows uh, advertisers to get the right podcasters to advertise their business for it. Now, podcasting has exploded in the last couple of years with about 56 million Americans listening to podcasts each month. That's a lot of listens. That's a lot. I would love to just, you know, have a third of those listens, actually. But I'm growing. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so they're doing this. I think this is great because 
I don't think radio is dead yet. I still think radio has some uses for it. I think it's slowly becoming podcasting is the new radio of my generation and generations younger than me. It's going to be the new wave of radios, how people are going to think of radio more often is this way. This way of kind of uploading it, finding it yourself, not going through radio stations in general. Radio stations have had a great run and they're still viable right now, but like I said, it looks like it's the steam is running out eventually. Um, so it's good to pivot into podcasting and making sure you actually have a strategy for podcasting, making sure you have uh, scripts, ad sets, and uh, assets in general written for it so you can give it to the podcasters and they can advertise for you. Make sure you're finding the right genre and the right podcaster for your brand because that basically when you give them a right to advertise, you're giving this, the seal of approval to all your customers that this podcast is legit and all the other fun stuff or vice versa, the podcaster is giving you a seal of approval for your brand. So make sure that you guys are on the same basis. Now, AdWiz is making PodWave where it actually will help to get you the right podcaster, make sure that your ad is specific to what the podcaster is talking about, just helping streamline the process and not making a mind-numbing headache. I kind of like where it's going with it. I really hope that it oh, takes off and it actually does a good job. And I'm always willing to advertise for any tech gaming marketing people that want to advertise with me. I'm always open for it. That is a shameless plug. And I'm not sorry. Sorry, I'm not sorry. Yeah, maybe not. All right, I really do want to dig into more of why brands should not just completely forget about Twitter. I've seen time and time again where either interviews or just helping out small businesses where I see that their Twitter page is just awful, just terrible. They don't have hashtags. They barely have a cover photo or no cover photo whatsoever, which is another just dead giveaway that you don't care about it. They also either retweet a whole bunch of things, tweet out something from Facebook or Instagram, which you should never do, and just don't do it very well, which I'm like, you actually have followers? How did you manage that? Um, and just talking to them being like, look at you really got to actually care about this space. I know it's not as popular as Facebook. I know it's not as big as Facebook but it's still viable and you could still use it for your advantage without making it look like you're just regurgitating other stuff from Facebook. Never ever do that. Never ever 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 do that. I hope the ever's caught on that you should not actually do that, but never do that. The reason why I keep on saying that Facebook is still viable, I'm not Facebook, excuse me, Twitter, I don't my fit. But Twitter is still viable is because of just what it is and how it's becoming prevalent again with a lot of live streaming, live streaming channels, live streaming national debates, showing brands that you can still, it still is here. Like, hey, we're still here. We're still doing a lot of great stuff. And just the interesting moves and pivots it's doing, especially with, uh, upping the limit size of gifts to 15 megabytes instead of five megabytes, which is great. So more high quality gifts and just kind of just doing uh, Twitter polls, which a lot of people just don't even know about. Sometimes I'm like, you don't really know about it. It's a button right there. 
push the button, that's it. But yes, a lot of even brands don't even try to actually engage their audience that way, which actually would be a good idea to say, hey, how do you like this? Or what do you think about this? And try to build engagement through that. It's a nice, easy way of doing it. it doesn't cost a lot of money you just make sure that you are talking about popular stuff on Twitter so people will actually respond to you as well and that's just one of the things the other thing is is that it's an easy way to disseminate news information for your brand as well it's also a great way of getting uh, emails for your email list getting installs having people actually buy through the site as well so there's a lot of different things that you could actually do with it and so that's why I keep on saying, just don't ever forget about Twitter. Twitter is still really good, still really viable, and you should stop making it look like Google+. I get that Google+, Plus is not your favorite one, and I understand it's kind of hard to do. I still like it. I still find it viable to a whole bunch of different people. And even though I make fun of it a little bit, it's still a really good social network for what it actually provides. But people just gave up on it. That was, that was the downside of it. So sad. So sad. All right, I'm going to have some programs for you guys to try out this week or to look at. It's called Company Hub. It's going to allow you to do, you know, all-in-one CRMs because, you know, you always need that with smart follow-up suggestions. So what it actually does is that you email somebody you say don't hear from 45 days back, you email them. 30 days, haven't heard back, give them a call, no conversation for many days, then follow up reminder. And so it allows you to do that, allows you to automate it, allows you to test, improve, change in ways so you can streamline it and make sure that you're getting those sales that you actually need or those media hits that you actually need, which is a great thing of doing it. It also sees opens and clicks and not opens as well, so you can actually uh, tailor and test and retest and take out whoever isn't actually opening your email as well. Now, I will counter this with try to actually be human, try to actually care about what they're actually doing, saying on their website. If you're not, if you're a marketing PR professional, if I don't get a sense that you actually care about what I'm saying, talking about doing, I don't care. I will not open your thing. I don't care. Don't care. No, no, still don't care. Um, all right, next is called Event Geek. This is kind of a way for businesses to kind of market and reassess and see the ROI on their events. Uh, a lot of big companies use this as well. It's kind of a great way of tracking and trying to improve how well your event is going, especially in the early phases where you're trying to get people to sign up, buy, or whatever. That is the biggest indicator of if it's going to go well or if it's not. Uh, it also manages venues, vendors, printing, shipping, traveling, and all this other fun stuff for your team that you really probably don't want to do as much because that's oh so fun. But it also does that and helps you, you know, keep on track of your ROI and the marketing about it. So it can be, it can prove it ROI for events and slash exhibits, host and organize it as well, and agencies because a lot of agencies either try to help or run an event. Um, it does help you collaborate with other individuals as well. It also integrates with Slack, Google Calendars, Google Drive, Salesforce, uh, Zapier, Eventbrite, GoToMeetings, HubSpot, and one I don't really know, Expensify as well for all the expenses. So check it out. There is a fee for it, so be on the lookout for that. Now, I talked about this yesterday on uh, Digital Coffee, but I think it's actually a really good one to talk about as well. There is a new uh, Chrome extension called Chirp for Twitter. 
it allows you to highlight a, a text and then tweet it through your own site, uh, which is actually kind of cool. Um, I kind of used it a couple times. It's actually really good. So if you kind of want to give highlights for maybe your book or your blog post, and this is kind of a little bit fun little way of doing it, this is another great way of doing it. I highly recommend it, so check it out. It's gonna be trip for Twitter, and I'm gonna post those, these, those, them on the show notes for you as well. All right, there is a new thing for Buffer. It's called Buffer for Instagram. It's gonna allow you to, well, it's allow you to basically time out, or I would say schedule out is the better word for it, your Instagram posts. Now, for Instagram, you can't actually automate this at all. Instagram doesn't want you to do that, which I don't really understand why, but that's 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 Instagram for you. They want it to all be natural. But here's the thing is that you take a lot of pictures and sometimes you just forget to do them or to get to post them. So this is just to help you to remind you that, hey, maybe you should, you know, post this. This is this would be a good one to post. This one right here. Um, and you can also use the uh, smart... Uh, scheduling feature through it and see which is the best time to do it. I would say about two to three posts, maybe four a day, but make sure you're scheduling them out enough where it's not overbearing. But I would say two to three would probably be the biggest sweet spot for me because I don't want to see a load of your stuff. I'd be like, it's oh, a lot of content I don't care about. But yes, it will help you uh, track key analytics. It will also do uh, plenty of reminders, work together, all the fun stuff that are integrated with uh, Buffer as well. So I highly recommend it because I've used it a couple times. It's actually pretty good. All right, this is more for marketers that are part of the DIY or businesses that kind of would uh, be utilizing DIYers like you know Bear or paint companies or Lowe's or any one of those Home Depot as well. Uh, there is something called Darby where it's a community of DIY makers and how-to videos and so this is a great way to find who is popular on this, who you can actually uh, collaborate with and you kind of utilize for DIY projects and you know show that you're sponsoring them and maybe get some more customers through that as well. So check it out if you actually want to find more influencers in this specific demographic industry as well. Uh, it could be pretty good. Uh, their main categories are kites and craft supplies. Kits, sorry, kites. <laughs> Kits and craft supplies, home and garden, jewelry, wedding and party, foodie, seasonal collection, sale, beauty, and there's also a lot more. So if you're in those types of industries, be sure that you know about this and you are looking through it and seeing who's got the biggest engagement and all that other fun stuff that marketers talk about. All right, that is the end of Marketing Blend. I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. And please follow Digital Coffee on, on Twitter at DigitalCO77EE, at Facebook Digital Coffee Podcast, Google Plus Digital Coffee Podcast, YouTube at Digital Coffee Podcast, Instagram Digital Coffee Podcast, and VinyDigital.coffee. And please sure to subscribe to Digital Coffee on iTunes, Google Play, Music, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, and on as well. And tuning them on as well, so you have many options. I'm also on SoundCloud if you want to do it. I do take a lot of the episodes off every once in a while because I'm still a free user and I've not really seen a reason to actually buy a subscription for it, but I'm on there as well, uh, so you can subscribe to that as well. Also, if you like these podcasts, please consider supporting me on Patreon at Digital Coffee. 
All right, guys, tune in tomorrow at Gamers Cafe where I will talk about all the gaming news and talk a little bit more about Overwatch because, well, there's always a lot of news about Overwatch. All right, guys, have a great day.